Chapter Sixteen of the Albert Gate Mystery by Lewis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Sixteen: The Hall Porter's Doubts. When one o'clock came and Edith had not arrived, the three men waiting in the hotel made no further effort to conceal their anxiety the impetuous fairholme was eager to commence an immediate search of marseilles but brett steadily adhered to his resolution not to stir from their sitting-room until either miss talbot came back in person or it became quite certain that she was detained by some other influence than her own unfettered volition it may be he argued that she will require some action on our part at the moment we see her and nothing could be more stupid than for the three of us to be wandering about this great city hopelessly inquiring for a missing english lady whilst she was impatiently awaiting our return in the knowledge that valuable time was being lost to no purpose what is there to fear miss talbot is absolutely unknown to all the parties concerned in the affair even if she attracted their attention which is improbable it is almost inconceivable that they should connect her with the search being made for them the only risk she runs is that of insult by some semi-intoxicated reveller and even in a rowdy city like this it must indeed be a strange locality in which she would be denied some protection of course i will be much relieved when miss talbot returns but to the present i see no reason for undue anxiety on our part indeed we ought to congratulate ourselves on the fact that she deems it necessary to leave us for such a long period the probability is that she is making highly important discoveries which may tend materially to reduce the area of inquiry with this view talbot could not help concurring so fairholme had to content himself by smoking many cigarettes and walking uneasily about the room sit down he could not whilst any casual ring at the hotel door found him leaning over the balustrade of the inner court and listening intently for the first words of the new arrival but the englishmen were not the only persons in the hotel that night whose composure was disturbed their extraordinary behaviour caused uneasiness to the manager and those members of his staff who remained on duty the facts disclosed by the hall porter were certainly remarkable only one member of the party had behaved in a normal manner sir hubert fitzjames soon after his arrival went quickly to bed but the whole porter's reports as to the conduct of the others was passing strange one of them to his surprise had rung up the prefecture of police in paris on the telephone the others were standing at the hotel door gazing quietly enough at the passers-by when suddenly about midnight much excitement arose amongst them they conversed eagerly in their own tongue for a few moments and the lady had rushed off down the street by herself whilst her two companions ran with equal precipitancy to join the third in the sitting-room they had engaged and there they still were seated in moody expectancy apparently waiting for some dramatic event to happen it was time that all good people were in bed 
but it was hopeless to approach such lunatics with questions for they were english and no decent frenchman could possibly hope to understand their actions or motives it was satisfactory that they could speak french well therefore the manager counselled the hall porter to exhibit patience and prudence moreover my lords upstairs would be sure to recompense him for an enforced vigil by a liberal pourboire at last when the cannebiere was empty and when the latest cafe had closed its doors and the final tramcar had wearily jingled its way up the hill towards a distant suburb the electric bell jangled a noisy summons to the front door it produced the hall porter and fairholme with remarkable celerity the frenchman cautiously opened the door and saw outside a muffled-up female who eagerly demanded admittance he knew by her accent that she was not a marseillaise but the shawl that covered her head and shoulders showed that she belonged to the working classes whom do you wish to see at this hour he gruffly demanded i live here said edith i came here to-night with my brother from paris please let me in at once in her excitement and breathlessness for she had hurried at top speed from the harbour edith forgot that the homely garment she adopted as a disguise effectually cloaked her from the recognition of the hall-porter as from all others moreover her french accent was too good it deceived the man even more thoroughly than did the shawl oh really now he said this is for laughter a woman like you staying at the hotel be off or i shall call a gendarme in his amazement at her demand he had not heard fairholme's rapid approach behind him he was now swung unceremoniously out of the way and the earl jumped forward to seize edith in his arms my darling girl he cried where have you been we almost gave you up for lost where's your hat where did you get that shawl and all the time he was hugging her so fiercely that it was absolutely impossible for her to say a single word at length she disengaged herself don't be so ridiculous she said but let me come in and close the door the whole porter will think we are cracked she summarized the whole porter's sentiments most accurately he explained the transaction to the manager with most eloquent pantomime and the two marvelled greatly at the weird proceedings of their strange guests ah said the manager at length now that mademoiselle has returned perhaps they will go to bed at that instant brett's voice was heard upon the stairs he wanted the telephone again edith had rapidly detailed her adventures to her astonished auditors and brett seemed to resolve on some plan of action with the lightning rapidity peculiar to him owing to the late hour he got through to paris without much difficulty and then he returned to the sitting-room where edith was rehearsing in greater detail all that had happened since she left them at the hotel door brett explained to his companions the motives of his second telephone message i am convinced he said that grandjean is in communication with his daughter for this reason i did not wish the police to put in an appearance at the cafe noir until to-morrow night 
or rather to-night, for we have long entered upon another day. I wished to have a reasonable time for a quiet inquiry at Marseilles before Mademoiselle could be apprised of our presence here. Miss Talbot's remarkable discovery has, however, wholly changed my plans. Mademoiselle Beaucaire and her lover have set off for some unknown destination, and the best chance we have of discovering it is to secure the immediate arrest of her father. Possibly, being taken by surprise at this hour of the morning, some document may be found on him which will reveal his daughter's destination. It occurs to me that she half expected him to arrive by a late train. Again, when the fishing smack puts into port, the girl will probably adopt some method of communicating with him. And that communication must come into our hands, not into his. So I have telephoned the police officials to Paris to raid the Cabaret Noir forthwith, and it is possible that they may report developments within the next two or three hours. "'Is there no chance of your discovering the whereabouts of that fishing smack?' said Fairholm. "'In what way?' demanded Brett. Oh, "'Well, this is a big port, you know, and there are always tugs knocking about with steam up, on the off-chance of their services being required. Isn't it possible to charter a steamboat and set off after the smack?' "'I do not think so,' said Brett. I imagine it would be a wasted effort. By this time the belle sœur is well out to sea. She can go in a dozen different directions. She may beat along the coast towards Toulon and the Riviera. She can make towards Corsica, Sardinia, the Balearic Islands, Spain or the mouth of the Rhone. She will certainly not show any lights, and I personally feel that although there is, perhaps, a thousand to one chance we might fall in with her, it will be far better for our purpose to remain quietly here and await developments in Paris. Anyhow, remarked Fairholm, convinced that his proposal was impracticable, it will be an easy matter for the authorities to ascertain the port that she arrives at. Brett shook his head dubiously. I have my doubts on that point, he said. The man who has thus far kept himself so easily ahead of all pursuers, and exhibited such a wealth of resource in his methods, may well be trusted to cover up his tracks effectually. There is even a possibility that the Belsers will never be seen again, and that her number will long remain vacant on the shipping register of Marseilles. However, we shall see. Then, Mr. Brett, put in Edith quietly, with a tired smile. I suppose we may go to bed? Most certainly, Miss Talbot. You have earned your rest more than any of us to-night, he answered. He held out his hand to wish her good-night, but she demanded with some surprise, What are you going to do? Surely you want some sleep? I will remain here, he said. I have bribed the hall porter to keep awake, and I may be wanted on the telephone at any moment. "'Then I will stop with you,' cried Fairholm. "'And I, too,' chimed in Talbot. "'You will do nothing of the sort,' he answered with pleasant insistence. "'You will just be off, both of you, and get some hours of sound sleep. You may need all your energy to-morrow.' 
don't be afraid i will arouse you if anything dramatic should happen left to himself brett again interviewed the hall porter and returned to the sitting-room where he disposed himself for a nap on the sofa like all men who possessed the faculty of concentrated thought he also cultivated the power of dismissing a perplexing problem from his mind until it became necessary to consider it afresh in the light of further knowledge within five minutes he was sound asleep at length he woke with a start he was stiff with cold for the fire had gone out and the tiny gas-jet he had left burning was not sufficient to warm the room he sprang to his feet and looked at his watch it was half-past six surely he cried there must have been a message from paris long before this he ran downstairs encountering on his way some of the hotel servants who even thus early had commenced work for your industrious frenchman is no laggard in the morning going to the hall porter's office he found that functionary snoring peacefully the poor fellow was evidently tired out and twenty telephone bells might have jangled in his ears without waking him so for the third time brett rang up the exchange to get in touch with paris as he had anticipated he quickly learned that the prefecture had endeavoured to get through to him about four thirty a m but the operators were unable to obtain any answer i can hardly blame the man he said to himself for i was just as tired as he the intimation he received from the prefecture was startling enough in accordance with his instructions a number of detectives had raided the cabaret noir soon after three o'clock they found the place in possession of a waiter and a couple of female servants Grand Jean had quitted the house the previous evening and the most astounding fact of all with him were three turks neither the waiter nor the domestics could give any information whatever concerning the hidden room they knew of its existence but none of them had ever seen it and the place was generally regarded as a sort of cellar for the reception of lumber the police forced a padlock which guarded its trap-door and found to their surprise that the place was much more spacious than they had anticipated it really contained two apartments one of which was so firmly secured that it had hitherto resisted all their efforts to open it the other was a sort of bed-sitting-room and it had recently been occupied from various indications they came to the conclusion that its latest tenants were hussein ul mulk and his confederates judging from the fact that these gentry had quietly left the cafe in grosjean's company about half-past seven the previous evening they were not in confinement against their will in fact the police theory was that this secret chamber provided a safe retreat for any person who desired complete seclusion other than that provided by the authorities it is assumed said the officer who communicated this bewildering information to brett that the locked room contains a quantity of stolen goods the police remain in charge of the cafe and when the necessary workmen have been obtained this morning the door will be forced we will at once let you know the result of our further investigations 
but what about gros jean and the turks surely paris cannot again have swallowed them up inquired brett every effort is being made to trace their whereabouts was the reply but you must remember monsieur that they had many hours start of the police and that this period of the day is the most difficulty of the twenty-four hours in which to make successful inquiries you must rest assured that the moment we receive even the slightest clue we will ring you up provided that is you arrange for some one at your end to answer the telephone oh said brett with a laugh there is little fear of further delay in that respect it will be daylight in another hour and the servants are already busy about the place he rang off and then darted back to his sitting-room to consult a time-table for the thought came to him that gros jean and the turks had quitted the caf in order to reach marseilles he could not yet explain this strange alliance it was impossible to believe that the innkeeper would betray his daughter to serve the ends of a political party no there must be some other explanation which the future alone could reveal he well knew that the last thought likely to occur to the paris police would be to suspect the missing men of any desire to reach the south coast it was with an almost feverish anxiety that he scrutinized the pages of the indicateur des chemins de fer and he heaved a sigh of profound relief when he discovered that the first train grosjean and the turks could travel by left paris the previous evening at eight forty p m and was not due at marseilles until eight fifty nine that morning it was now close on seven o'clock so he went to his bedroom effected some much-needed changes in his personal appearance and then consumed an early breakfast of coffee and rolls at half-past eight he called a carriage and was driven to the railway station where punctually to the minute the paris train arrived brett managed to secure a favourable point whence he could observe the passengers without being seen for on the platform were stacked hundreds of baskets of fruit and vegetables which had arrived by a local train there were not many passengers in the express and almost the first to alight were gros jean and the three tags hussein almalk and the two others he had seen in the rue barbette it would be idle to deny that the barrister experienced a thrill of satisfaction at his own shrewdness and he smiled as he realized the consternation of the paris commissary when informed that he had so easily allowed the rogues to slip out of the net the travellers were evidently tired after a sleepless journey gros jean being a fat man had wobbled about a great deal during the night he much needed the restorative effect of a comfortable bed whilst the turks though younger and more active also showed signs of fatigue for this long journey in their case was a sequel to many hours of detention in an ill-ventilated apartment so they paid not the slightest heed to their whereabouts save in so far as to eye with suspicion a harmless gendarme who happened to be on the platform the policeman of course took no notice of them whatever 
Grosjean was to him merely a typical Frenchman, whilst persons of dark complexion and Moorish appearance are everyday sights in the streets of Marseilles. A diminutive railway porter loitered near Brett in the conceit that perhaps this well-dressed stranger might have felonious designs on the oranges and cabbages. His intense joy may therefore be pictured when the barrister beckoned to him, placed a gold piece in his hand, and said, "'You see those Turks there. Go after them and find out where they are going to. They are sure to take a carriage, as their luggage appears to be somewhat heavy.' The man darted off, secure in the belief that no one who could afford to give away twenty francs for such trivial information would be likely to pocket a cauliflower. In half a minute he returned. "'They have all driven off together, monsieur,' he announced eagerly, and the French gentleman first of all inquired of the driver how much he would charge to take them to the jolie femme. Two francs was the fare, and this was agreeable, so they have gone there.' "'I hope in this instance,' said Brett gravely, "'that the jolie femme is the name of a hotel.' but certainly replied the porter elevating his eyebrows what else could it be he meditated on this question for five minutes after brett's departure and then an idea struck him ah he cried slapping his thigh with a grin he is a droll dog that englishman brett secure in the knowledge that his quarry had been located drove back to his hostelry he found edith fairholme and talbot just sitting down to breakfast he joined them and had barely communicated his startling intelligence when sir hubert fitzjames put in an appearance dear me said the genial old soldier smiling pleasantly at the assembled party i see you are all nearly as lazy as i have been myself I hope you slept well and enjoyed a quiet night. The burst of merriment which greeted this remark not only amazed the worthy baronet, but startled the other guests in the dining-room. "'That is a strange thing,' whispered a Frenchman to his wife. "'I thought the English never laughed.'" End of chapter 16